there is a time when every startup needs to pivot and it needs to pivot beyond yourself. And I remember very distinctly the moment that that happened and I cried while I was making the decision to let my initial concept go. I literally was walking around my bedroom crying on the phone with my advisor is to say, you have to let it go. Are you ready to let it? Because if you're not ready to let it go, I can't keep working with you. And I was like, oh, no, I'm ready. I just haven't caught up with it yet, you know. And that is a really important one to know when it's time to pivot. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, you've tried something and it hasn't worked and then you pivot. No, no, no. You've got to really seriously go through the weeds with it. You've got to give it enough. You've got to hurt enough. You have to fail enough. You have to get yourself back up enough time. The original idea is your, it's your learning ground. And then the market will tell you what your idea needs to become. Welcome to episode 156, Ludwina.tubik, founded the Room Exchange in 2017. Then COVID-19 hit and she had to completely rethink her business model because nobody would buy her services anymore. So she took a bet devoted her business, a process that wasn't really easy for her, and has been experiencing a huge growth since. How do you go back from scratch to experiences the biggest growth ever? Or do you avoid being the bottleneck in the process? These are some of the questions we discuss. Ludwina also shares a few practical tips about working from home, something she's done for 30 years. Ludwina is a practical example of how going back to the basics of entrepreneurship and startup foundations is the secret weapon to massive and exponential growth. Enjoy our conversation. Hello, Ludwina. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. Great. So let's dig into it immediately. <laughs> let's when do we, that. When we first met, you told me that you know, when you started about your your business six years ago, you've been you've been the the or more than six years ago actually, you've been the bottleneck for six years, <laughs> and then fourteen months ago or so, because of the COVID nineteen restrictions, you had to relaunch your business, and then since then your business has been growing very fast, but you've been experiencing growth pains. <laughs> So how do you go back to almost being a startup and experiencing the biggest growth ever? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. And just to give some context in terms of being the bottleneck since we started, when you are in the startup phase, you have very limited resources, limited funds, depending on what it is that you require in terms of becoming a revenue generating business. So in our, in our case, it was quite sophisticated technology that needed to be built. There's a, a lot of things that really push it against you in that early stage. And you don't have the team, the money um, to be able to do the things as fast as you like. And often you end up becoming the person that wears more than one hat, so to speak. Yeah. So that's where, you know, I sort of identify you know, where the challenge can be in terms of being a uh, CEO and founder of a company. And then we just hit to, we just hit the growth phase and then COVID hit. And I was just like, oh, damn. And I'm from Melbourne and Melbourne was the most lockdown city in the world. 
mm-hmm. and Australia, uh, everyone in the world knows what happened here in Australia. Nobody was opening up their front doors. And when you're a house sharing platform, it's all about inviting people into your home. And we weren't even allowed to stand, you know, 1.5 metres near anyone. Yeah. And so at that point it was like, do we fold the company? And mm-hmm. mind you, we have shareholders. It's not quite an easy decision to make. Or do we pivot, make some predictions about where things are going to be beyond COVID, if we even get a beyond COVID? And then what would that be and how would we fund that and what would happen in that? So you're right, we had to go back to startup phase, which is now actually 18 months ago. So it was June, yeah, June a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And I made the decision to to pivot. I made some predictions about where the housing market would be post-COVID and I was spot on and thankfully so because our country, and I think the world actually, but our country right now needs the room exchange like it never has before. So you took the uh, COVID-19 phase, let's call it a phase, to Mm. prepare for the aftermath. Yeah, we did, yeah. So fortunately, one of the things that the government did here was provide some grants to small businesses. So we had some funds to to work with. We literally had to change our business model, not a lot, but it was significant enough to where we had to also change our tech and also our brand and the public-facing part of the website. So it was a lot of work, but the time during COVID gave us that time to actually do that work. And the result of that, it's almost been like COVID was a, a gift to us in that way because where we're at now, it's actually a much clearer product, service, and um, I guess sell to the customer than what it was before. Right. So what would you say is your major bottleneck today? Well, we uh, growing pains. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> just that, uh, what is that? Any... What, what is a growing pain or growing pains? <laughs> uh, have you had children? Yes. And uh, have did they go through the teenage? Well, you know, just when they're sort of <laughs> yeah, late one primary. Is still, one is still into it. Yes. Okay, so their joints ache because their body grows so fast that. Mm. It's called growing pains. My kids are adults, so I always have these metaphors about my kids um, for my business experiences. Um, so we're having growth, but it's painful because, again, it's, you know, we're, um, we have re- revenue models in place now because with a, with, with a platform like us, we're a two-sided marketplace, so you can't just charge for a service when you need both customers to be able to supply the product, right? So yeah. we had to get the numbers back up to that point again before we could even think about charging so we're there now in fact we've more than doubled in 18 months what we did in the first three years so that's you know it's a reflection of the market which is sad but it's good for us um and now we have revenue models in place we have premium services you know digital resources as well that we're now selling to our users and as we get them in place i'm back to wearing you know three hats again as the, mm. <laughs> the CEO, I do all the media, um, the marketing. But, you know, that's my superpower. I love doing um, the marketing and the media and the communications aspect of it. But I'm also writing a lot of content at the moment. So it means, you know, sometimes working a few nights a week, which is usually against my rules. But um, as with any business, you sometimes you have to break that to just, you know, prepare for what's coming. And, you know, I'd like to have a, 
a lengthy break over the, the um, holidays and then mm-hmm. kick off next year or being ready and prepared for the next phase. You're talking about the holidays because we were recording just before Christmas. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I should have been a bit more evergreen <laughs> in my approach there. Uh, tut, tut, Ludwina. I should have known better than that. Um, but, yes, just before the holidays. You might not listen to this till after, but I think yes. you'll be nice and refreshed and you'll understand exactly how I'm feeling. <laughs> <laughs> So how, how do you go through this super fast growth? I mean, do you are you planning to hire more people, for instance? Can you hire more people? How how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah. Concretely. So I'm, yes, I'm in the process now of um looking for you know, business development managers who have got strong contacts in certain pillars that will be um promoting our B2B products um mm. with next year uh, in the coming future and um also one of the things we're pretty excited about is we're launching a um a service where we can assign our homeowners with a house sharing coach and so that will it's part of a hand holding uh service a premium service where we'll be able to help support them through the process essentially you know, homeowners don't buy a house with the intention of becoming a house sharer. So they often don't know the best practice, I guess, in mm. terms of how to do it to make, ensure that it's successful. So we're, they're the resources that, you know, again, over the last six years, we've had so many conversations and so many people using our platform that we have, you know, the right stories, including my own experiences, because I still house share, um, that we can actually utilise that information to our users now. Another uh, interesting uh, aspect of your journey is the fact that you've been working from home for 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So I've been working from home since 2017. I moved, <laughs> I moved country once in the meantime, you know, during that period. I moved homes four or five times. So it, I know how painful it can be sometimes to work from home. But it requires a lot of discipline. So how how have you been able to cope with 30 years of working from home? I really want to understand that. <laughs> I'm glad you asked because not a lot of people ask me about that. And I think, I think, Dan, it's an interesting conversation because I yes. was actually working from home before the internet and digital. Actually, yes. So actually. try and fathom that one, right? Actually, um, yes. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't even realise that. It's true. Think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, I originally made the decision to do that so that I could be at home with my children. Mm. I'm 57, so um, my kids are now 31 and 29. Um, I also made a decision to homeschool them back then. And so to do that, I wanted to also make sure I had something of my own. And I wasn't, I didn't grow up with a desire to be in business, but just out of necessity, it sort of happened. And I've always been a very resilient, innovative, resilient woman, innovative thinker. And so I just found ways that I could work from home, still be with my children, and then my kids got involved. And then I, you know, and it just became this thing that, you know, we're always a business household. My husband's in business. My daughter's been self-employed now for, I think, seven years, and my son is about to embark on his first business venture. And so, yeah, working from home was really just about a requirement at the time. But you have to also understand that back then, this can sound really weird, it even feels weird about to say it, that there was conflict between women about whether women should actually work or stay at home with their kids, right? Now, 
I was working and I stayed at home with my kid. I mean, I was had another controversy on top that I was homeschooling, so add that to it. Um, but I was wow. also working and working for myself. So, you know, like I've, I've just never really been a woman who does the status quo. It's like mm. whatever it is that I want to do, I do, and I believe that everything can be figured out and I just say yes and work it out later. So it's just how I think. I don't know why. It just is. And so working from home has always been a matter of convenience for me. And it's really, actually, I'm going to add something funny. I think you'll appreciate this. One of the benefits of working from home is never having to actually put your office gear on, right? True. Okay, so that's this, all right? Yes. So, okay. The upper now, it's the upper yeah, part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, and, and everything, everyone was fine with phone calls before yeah. COVID. Then yeah. all of a sudden COVID hits and now everyone wants to see my face. And it's like, yes. now I've got to put video face on almost every single day. And it's like I'm going into an office. It's like as soon as this is over, the makeup's coming off, hair's going up in a tie, I'm putting my tracky decks on. And I'm, hey, just, I'm, you know, I'm wearing coming. sweatpants right now, but you don't, you don't see them. Dude, you're a bloke, you can get away with it, okay? We just can't, we cannot. I'm sorry, it's a double standard. It is just there. I've accepted it. I don't complain about it. But it is real, okay? So... You know, it's just a thing, and I'm, you know, I'm proud of my how I appear, and I'm, you know, being respectful, being on someone else's show. It's just all part of it, but it's just really interesting. And so now I say to everyone, unless you really need to see my face, phone call will suffice. (laughs) That's one of the things from working from home. Yeah. (laughs) What are some of the uh, other rules you have uh, implemented so that you Mm. can be efficient? Yeah. So um, when I've finished for the night, which in this case, it'll be after here because we're in Australia. So it's uh, quarter past six. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally at around 6.30, I finish and I just won't come back up here in my office. It just won't happen. Um, there's nothing that comes into my inbox that can't wait till tomorrow. The same with social media, whatever it is, it can all wait. Um, and so I'm very disciplined in that way. There is occasionally I need to break those rules if we're doing a deadline, but I'll go and eat and then I'll come back up and I'll put a time limit on it. I don't ever find myself getting caught up in working beyond what I've decided I'm going to to do. So I feel like I'm always in control of my own time. I do a lot of time blocking. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Mm-hmm. It's just if there if there is a project that I'm working on, I will block it out in my calendar so that nobody else can book a call with me in that time. I also have my phone on silent 24-7, so it never rings and I don't hear any notifications or pings. People know who know me know to text me and if you don't have my mobile, then you email me and then two or three times a day I'll check my emails and reply. So it's just putting disciplines in like that, which I, I think whether you're working from home or not, I just think they're good disciplines to have yeah. because otherwise you're just in a constant state of distraction and in a constant state of responding immediately to everyone. And he, one thing about that is is that you're teaching people how to treat you. So if they mm. they will continually expect a reply from you straight away, um, whereas I think that, you know, a few hours is fine. One of the most difficult things for me working from home, I find, is to stop working, take a break. I don't know. I don't know why. It wasn't a problem when I was like working in the office because there was always something going on, you know, maybe a staff interrupting you or maybe you, you needed to go, you know, it was easy to get a walk down the company and the office, throughout the office and say hello to someone. But here at home, I'm by myself. So I just work, 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 work. And I forget to take a break. Mm. Do you have the well, same issue? 
Yeah, so I see a wedding ring on your left hand, so I'm yes. assuming you have a partner there. Yes. Um, uh, what's your partner's name? Minna. Yes. Minna. So yes. you just need to tell uh, Minna that, you know, I need to be a priority to you, <laughs> and trust me, she'll tell you. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's the same, you know, with my husband, he can often, um, you know, be working late at night, and I just tell him, get out of your office. Like he finds it difficult to switch off. Um I just think I, I'm very, I have a belief. I think this is probably it. It's practices and beliefs. So I have a belief that if I don't give my brain a rest, it's not going to fully function the next day, which means yeah. that I'm just wasting time. And I have a big thing about wasting time. I just, I don't. We only have a finite amount of time in our life and I want to use it in a way that's going to fulfil me in all areas. And trust me, I love what I do. I could be writing or working on our website, doing a whole bunch of things at night and be having fun, but that's not actually good for my brain. So I'm also an artist and that's just by default, not by, it's not a side hustle or anything like that. Um, but I found out very late in life that I actually had some talent there. So I was 50 when I started painting and now I have about 50 paintings. So, you know, it's just like, I just keep painting and, you know, people are buying them. So it's just kind of a thing that I do, but that's what I do in the nighttime. So I don't drink alcohol and I don't like binge watching TV because um, I'm, I'm on a screen all day. So I mm. try not to do that at night. And with the painting, what it does, it actually uses the other side of my brain, my creative, and then it gives my left side of my brain a rest. And often what happens as a result of that is that any problem I've had during the day will be resolved through my practice of painting. Right. Yeah, because I'm relaxing that analytical part of my thinking so it's just like I think it's just a matter of looking at the things that you do how you're doing them one of one call a day I will make sure that I can go for a walk so if it's not a Mm -hmm. new somebody that I need to be sitting still and quiet with so if it's one of my team and we're just talking through something I'll put my runners on and I'll go for a walk so I get my exercise in at the same time so putting things like that in place as well um I'm not a morning person I don't fall asleep easily so I also put a practice in to ensure that I'm not tired in the morning. Mm. Um, and I, I don't take meetings in the, you know, early in the morning because my brain just doesn't switch on that quickly, but it will, you know, in the afternoon and throughout the night where some people don't do it late in the afternoon because it happens to them at that point. So it's a matter of understanding and knowing yourself and, um, and then teaching people how to treat you and teaching them um, in terms of what they can expect and how you operate. And I think a lot of that, it's about working from home. I've, I've seen some people putting their email signature, their working hours when they work from home. So if they're part-time, for example, and they only work Tuesday and Thursday, they'll mm-hmm. put in their email signature, I work Tuesday and Thursday from 12 to 6 or whatever it is, and I'll reply when I'm back on deck. And I think that's a really good practice. So little things like that um, are ideal. And generally things aren't urgent like people think they are, you know. And that's if you give point. it a day, what they thought was urgent will actually be resolved themselves um so it's just things like that i think the the older i get the more i understand myself the more i understand people the less i care about what other people think and Mm. and it's just you know what is best for me and for my company and my marriage and you know people around me what are the best practices to ensure that i have a a well-balanced life and I don't become the bottleneck in my personal life as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very, yeah. very true. But you, you said something very interesting because it's 
it's it's a good point. It's about, you know, you said nothing is as urgent as you think it might be. And this is something that I keep on repeating when I do when I do a training, is that when we talk about time management, for instance, is that if it was I, I tell I tell my trainees, if it's really urgent, people will call you. Mm. you know, if you see an email that says with urgent written in a in a in a topic, it's not as urgent. It's just they want they want the email to pop out <laughs> to your yeah. to your mailbox. Yeah. And that's I think is really important because when you realize that you are in charge you don't lose control you don't allow others to uh, to to take to take over you on schedule mm. i have a really interesting story that i think you might appreciate mm. so my chief operating officer um david he one day we were working through a pretty heavy project this was a couple of years ago and and i sent him an email and i said oh look this is urgent because i'd like I, I need your response because I need to get back to such and such tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I need your response today. And so he stopped everything and reviewed it and replied to my email. And then I didn't actually end up getting back to the other person the day after. And I would have copied David into the email so he knew that. Anyway, the day after that, he called me up and he said, um, he said, Ludwina, uh, can you sit down for a second? I went, yeah. And then... <laughs> He read me the right act. He said, I'm here for you. I've got you. But you cannot tell me that something's urgent if it's not actually urgent because then when you do actually need me and it's urgent, I'm not going to be there for you. Yeah. Now, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. I just need you to not do that again. And I was like, oh. And he said, now, I've got you. There's no issue here. I just needed to share that with you. And that was so beautifully done. Like it was wrapped up in care, right? Um, yeah. And he cared enough about me to actually – make sure that there wasn't an issue that would grow between us. And, you know, six years we've been working together um, with the Room Exchange. So, you know, we've never had an issue on it since. But it was a really beautiful lesson for me mm-hmm. to learn and to understand that, you know, look, this isn't urgent, but I really would like to get this wrapped up by the end of the week if there's some time this week that you've got time to review it if you can do that, you know. Yeah. And and it's the same thing with anybody else. You know, we just think it is because it's like we've got our to-do list we want to tick off. But is it really urgent? Most yeah. of the time, it's not. Yeah, and it's about educating others. Like mm. Your CEO educated you, right? Mm. Like you were talking about that earlier on when you when you were saying that your your your, your mobile phone is always uh, uh, on uh, silent. You are educating people, mm. and, you, and people are it's fine with that. So I think I think it's really important that we don't we're not afraid to educate our clients, to educate our staff around how we work. Yeah. And look, I I believe that the majority of people in the world are good people and they care. Yeah. yeah. And they're not thinking about you as much as you think they are. <laughs> you know, point. you're not that you're not that special. You're not you're really. not that special. No. no. And so, you know, like it's if you just say, Hey, look, I I won't be replying to this till tomorrow, that's fine. And then sometimes it's actually really nice to be able to get somebody out of a bind. Mm. and say, yes, I'm happy to to help you out. I'm actually in the middle of doing that today for David, actually, and mm. um, and I'll work a little bit tonight to help get that over the line because it's going to make things easier for him. And we do these things for each other when we need to have them done. It's like, yes, I want the opportunity to be able to help you because you've done it so many times for me before. But other than that, it's just, you know, things can wait. Mm. 
Mm. Why did you become an entrepreneur? I'm completely unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a little while to figure it out. And mm. I, I'll tell you how I, well, when I was, I left school at 15 and I left home at 16. And my story before that was very difficult. So I left mm. a little country town with 500 people and moved eight hours away to Sydney, the big smoke. This was in the 80s. And I started working in the hospitality industry when I was 16. I should have been 18, but I was 16. And I worked in hospitality and bars up there for, you know, about eight years or something. It was a really good educational process for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned how to sell. I learned about people. I learned about hustle. I, you know, just learned so much. And um, when I started my family, I met my husband when I was 24, Um so inside of a family pretty much straight away. For me, it was just about, well, what can I do? Like I wanted to be at home with my kids. Always wanted. Like when I have kids, I want to be at home with my kids. But at the same token, I've always I've lived such an independent life before that yeah. that it wouldn't have just completely satisfied me. So I just started doing things. Like one of the things I did was work a party plan, you know, um, Amway, I think, was a big thing back then. That's party plan. I was selling educational games and toys for children through a company called Jigsaw Toy Factory. So I was homeschooling my kids. I was interested in that kind of thing. I could do that at night. My husband was home with the kids at night. And then I packed up deliveries during the day. And I learned about how to sell and how to, you know, and then I ended up training women, became number 17 in sales in the country. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, I'm good at this. And then the next thing was, you know, there were companies who were booking in people for um, market research groups. And so I'd go around, deliver postcards and and create a list of people and had literally had them on cards in a box, things about them, their age, their gender, their interest, do you drink coffee, do you eat this, you know. And so when people needed um, someone booked in for them, I'd look through who I had and, you know, and I'd book people in and get paid 50 bucks per person I booked in. It was just little things like that that I was able to do. And then, and then I just decided one day I wanted to make a TV show. I never had okay. any experience in production. This was back in the analog days and I had a community of people around me who were very creative. I did not know how to shoot or edit or anything, but I knew I wanted to present and I wanted to do this show. We created a pilot and then took it to Optus Vision, which was a cable network at the time. They absolutely loved it. The next thing you know, I'm a TV producer. <laughs> it was just, you know. And so, and then I learned in that process that I have great leadership skills and people want to follow me and work with me and learn from me. And, you know, like I... I was quite naive to a lot of the impact that I had in the early stages of my entrepreneurship, I guess. But it was just like, well, how are we going to get people here? I know we'll put an ad in the paper. We'll do letterbox drops and then people will talk about it. And the next thing you know, we've got this community of 50 people who wanted to be on every single show, but we couldn't have them. So then we started barbecues at our house because they wanted to hang out with us. Mm. And these things were all skills that I was starting to learn. And then, then we did Media Minds, which was a three-day, a two-day hands-on video production workshop that was sponsored by Apple and Optus. And then we ran that in over 300 schools across the country. And that was repeat business. That was massive. That was like mm-hmm. two grand a school pro- project, right? This was still in the analog days. And I believe I had something to do with getting Apple into schools, you know, at that point. And um, and then from there, then it was like, okay, I've learned all these skills. What am I really, really good at? I'm good at networking. I'm good at marketing. I'm good at, you know, coming up with innovative concepts. And then I started a, um, a women's business network events company called the Red Tent Woman, and that just flew. And then it, it, things just went on from there. You know, I was one of the first B2B podcasters in Australia in 2010. Nobody had, was podcasting back then. I hit number one on iTunes probably three times and you were noteworthy that yeah. I produced a podcast masterclass and how to podcast like a pro. And I was doing all this in 2011, 2012. 
um, you know, that my current podcast is now in the top 5% of podcasts globally. Like there's skills that I just learn along the way. But I did this um, when I was in my, uh, gosh, was it early 30s, I decided that when I was kind of in between what I was going to do, I decided I'd go for a job. And <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I went to a recruitment agency and they skill tested me. And then they said, oh, okay, we've got to get you a pretty high position. And I went, oh, okay. Mm. And I was just curious to see what I was worth in the market. And then it was like 45 grand. This was like 25 years ago, okay. Mm. And I ended up getting the role of the uh, executive assistant to the director of Walt Disney in Australia, in Australia, New Zealand, Australasia. I lasted three weeks. <laughs> just no. to say, I've tried. No, not for me. No, they didn't, they didn't like all the recommendations and suggestions on how they could run things better. And, you know, and I was just like, no, I can't, I can't just be a, somebody who's told what to do and do it this way. And it's like, you don't understand. I didn't even get a handover booklet and I've never had a job before. And I think that's a good idea. You know, Mm. it was just things like that that were just really simple and yeah, it didn't last. So I was like, yeah, no, I can't do that anymore. So (laughs) that was the only time I've had a job that and when I worked in bars when I was younger. Mm. What have you learned about yourself? throughout the, your journey? I learned that I'm equally left and right brained. That was a really huge revelation um, and how to take care of that. Because I, I look at it, it's like a gift, but it can also be a curse. So I have to, I really have to take care of it. Um, and, and that's why I paint. I, I paint so that I can give my left brain a rest and my right brain is the creative that, you know, I have to just trust my instinct and go with it, which actually helps me then with when I'm my analytical side of my brain's going, no, 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 it doesn't make sense. But then my other side's going, well, you just have to trust the fact because instinctually it's right. And, you know, it, it sounds kind of a bit mad, but um, I do a lot of journaling and mm. talking to my, myself through those things. Mm. My art also is an expression of that. What else have I learned? I've learned when, that. When you mean it's a curse? Do you mean because you're too creative, you're too analytical, or both no, at the same time? I think generally, from my experience, generally people are really good at one, a little bit at yeah. the other, not equally yeah. in both. Yeah. So um, uh, it's an easy example. So when I'm painting, part of it is analytical, but I can't get into the analytical. I've got to stay in the creative because particularly like, you know, being creative you don't want to paint within the line, so to speak, right? So, and it's the same in business. You you don't want to be in the box. You've got to be innovative and be outside the box. Yeah. But the box also has to exist because the innovative yes. ideas can't exist without the box. So it's finding yeah, the balance need, between. Yeah, you, you need, need to be foundations. Yeah, you need. Yeah, you need the, yeah. you need systems. You need structure, yeah, and yeah. that's all the analytical side of your brain. Yeah. But the idea of the room exchange wouldn't have come about because if I had a if I had a completely just sat in my analytical. I would have said, no way, no one's going to do this because of A, B, C. But then there's also a bunch of reasons why people would. It's X, Y, Z. So how do I get them to X, Y, Z instead of A, B, C? Mm. And that's that kind of, you know, I call it ping pong. You know, balls in that court, then it gets hit back over this side. And, um, yeah, so it's that. What else do I learned about myself? Um, yeah, that I'm unemployable. <laughs> I, <laughs> I really, yeah, I really love advising. I love providing wisdom to other people. Mm. I was um, being interviewed actually just an hour before this one and at the end of the conversation 
um, I was having a conversation with the um, host and she was just asking me a bunch of questions um, about something particular in business and straight away my brain went into this completely different mode and then I just almost like just firing all these questions at her and then within 15 minutes I just had four answers for her which was just like oh my god how did you do that I love that I love that after all of these years of doing what I do there there are things that just come naturally to me that I'm able to see and mm. to be able to share that with other people so I, I do advise a few clients just on the side just to keep that part of my thinking active as well otherwise if I'm constantly in the room exchange all the time I find that I can get fatigue around that whereas if I can exercise my brain in a way where I can think about somebody else and someone else's needs and business, then that kind of helps. It's almost like a new neurons get fired off, if that makes sense. It seems to me that you always need to be switched on. No. No? No, I don't. No, okay. see, that, that's the thing. That's a discipline in it. That's yeah. the um, – there was a time when I think that was the case, but not for very long. Like it's – um. I really like um, I really like spending time with my family, with mm. my husband, and um, I just I like to switch off. I don't have a problem switching off. But that's where art, like art, literally was the thing that taught me that because I, I tried meditating. Like when I first found the room exchange, I raised capital, and that's an incredibly st stressful thing, very very yeah. stressful thing to do, and that. I found was having me on 24-7, My well, the time that I was awake. And I tried meditating, but I when I meditate, I find that my mind actually starts solving problems. So that's kind of like it didn't work. I couldn't switch off. And so then uh, I was at this, I put myself in a retreat for a couple of weeks just to give myself a bit of a break. And one of the therapies that they had there was art therapy. And I was doing this art therapy and I thought, oh, damn, this is so childish. <laughs> I was like playing in the sand pit. But mm. then I found myself just like I could feel the sand and I could just, you know, I had to build this, I don't know, sandcastle, whatever it was. And I was just like, oh, this is a creative pro And then all through the week there was all these creative things. And I've always been into music and music singing. Um, that was my creative thing, not art. But on mm. my mother's side of the family, the incredible oil painters. But I'd never stepped into that. And just so I thought, well, I'm just going to paint something when I got home. Bought an easel, big one, big canvas four oil paints, oil brushes and some turts. It's like, you know, talk about diving in head first. And my husband and I went away for a weekend and you can see it's like winter, there's an A-frame wooden house all surrounded by trees and a fire in the living room. I've got my easel out. It's like, what am I going to paint? <laughs> and then my son messaged me a, a photo that his housemate took on a Polaroid camera. And I hmm. thought, okay, I'll paint that. Like, it's so stupid to think that I'm going to paint a portrait for my first one. But still to this day, it's one of my favourite paintings. It took me nice. about 30 hours over a course of a few months, but I'd never had an art class and I was like, oh, there's something in this. So that was a real gift. And because, like, I, I really find myself going into a hypnotic state when I'm painting, when I'm, it's that flow state, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it's just such a beautiful thing and it really relaxes and lightens things in my mind. And so I, I can switch off. It's really taught me how to do that. And if I don't feel like working on a big piece, I'll just get my watercolours out and just sit and do a sketch and a watercolour painting for an hour. Um, I can switch off. It's just when I'm on, I'm on. Like, mm. don't talk to me. I have food on my desk. I have two litres of water on my desk because unless I have to go to the bathroom, I don't leave. So from the moment I start at 11 till I finish at 6, 6.30, I don't leave my 
<laughs> except for when I go for a walk, you know, with my yeah. one of those phone calls. But um, but yeah, just do not interrupt me. Like I'm I'm just I'm zoned in, and then when I stop, I'm just off. All right. Take your all your experience and summarize it into one practical recommendation for other entrepreneurs. What would it be? Cool. We're talking about entrepreneurs in the real sense of the word, like yes. the ones that all max their credit card and put their house in it. <laughs> kind of entrepreneurs, or we talking ones... about side hustlers? No, 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 no. Well, <laughs> we're talking about people who build stuff. These entrepreneurs, yes, they could be, stuff, they could yeah. start as a, you know, as a side hustler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you just have to have absolute faith in faith and belief is mm. going to be your biggest gift, and naivety, I think too. That might sound like an oxymoron, but you no, have to be naive to, to, to believe in it. Yeah, you have to. Because, <laughs> and, and the thing is, is that what you, and this one's really important, what you think the initial idea is, I liken it to having a child. So when you have a, well, okay, I'm a woman. When I was pregnant, you know, I have this idea, oh, my, I'm, I'm going to breastfeed my child. It's not going to have to suck on a pacifier or dummy, whatever you call it over there. Um, it's going to, you know, be this angelic child it's it's just gonna you know you have this vision right and then yeah. the baby's born and you haven't slept for a week and all of a sudden it's like oh okay here's a formula here's a pacifier i need some sleep um that's kind of a broad analogy but it's like you have this kind of image of what you, you, you start up as your baby and you have this very clear vision of what it's going to be until you actually really get into the weeds of it and you haven't slept you haven't eaten you can't pay your bills and then, you know, you go through this stage, there is a time when every startup needs to pivot and it mm. needs to pivot beyond yourself. And I remember very distinctly the moment that that happened and I cried while I was making the decision to let my initial concept go. I literally oh. was walking around my bedroom yeah. crying on the phone with my advisor. He's just saying, you have to let it go. Are you ready to let it? Because if you're not ready to let it go, I can't keep working with you. And I was like, ah! No, I'm ready. I just haven't caught up with it yet, you know, and that is a really important one to know when it's time to pivot. And I'm not talking about, you know, oh, you've tried something and it hasn't worked and then you pivot. No, no, no. You've got to really seriously go through the weeds with it. You've got to give it enough. You've got to hurt enough. You have to fail enough. You have to get yourself back up enough times. The original idea is your, it's your learning ground. And then the market will tell you what your idea needs to become. Um, and if you're wise and you can listen to that, then you can still have the the portion or the part of it or the essence of it, but just know that the process of how it's going to outwork will become different. And if you can let that go, it's like letting your child go, you know, when they become a toddler and they need to walk on their own two feet or when they're a teenager and they need to get a train for themselves, it's just you've just got to let it go at some point, right? And then it will then develop and and turn into this fully self-sufficient adult mm, nice i love it because yeah. letting go is one of the most difficult things for entrepreneurs yeah do. yeah and this is one of the secrets of uh, avoiding being the bottleneck in the business <laughs> yeah. yeah true true <laughs> amazing thank you very much Ludwina. 
for your time today. One more question. How can people contact you? And don't forget to tell us about your podcast. Thank you. So um, you can see my name there. So make sure you write that down because it's a tricky spelling. The company you're, is you're very... uh, watching it on YouTube. Oh, sorry. Yes, I'm <laughs> on YouTube. Sorry, I've got to remember that. Okay, Ludwina, just remember this, L-U-D-W-I-N-A. Fortunately, just search for that and you'll find me. Uh, Ludwina Daltovich on LinkedIn. Uh, the Room Exchange is the letter X-C-H-A-N-G-E, theroomexchange.com. Um, and we're also at the Room Exchange on all social media. I'm really happy to talk to anyone where it doesn't, we're fully operated across Australia, but we're actually having conversations with international markets. So if you happen to be in a market where you're looking at solving the housing crisis and accessing spare rooms, we're a verified house sharing platform that's got profile matching and rental options built in. Um, love to have a chat with you about it. And um, I think that's it pretty much. Podcast? Yes. Oh, podcast, sorry. The Room Exchange podcast, that's it. Great. Thank you again for your time today. My absolute pleasure. And thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about the entrepreneur Botanic. You can go even further. Download my ebook, Eight Tactics to Thrive as an Entrepreneur to tackle your bottleneck heads on and propel your business uh, for what? I'll see you next time. Oh, I forgot to mention. You find you find the ebook on my website. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.